Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. I'm Israel Wayne. And I'm Brooke Wayne. We want to welcome you again, and we're going to complete a discussion that we had on our last episode talking about living on a single income. Uh, The last episode, we focused more on the macro side of this, on society's view that uh, it's advantageous for both Uh, the father and the mother to be outside the home working jobs and uh, providing uh, for the family and then sending their children off to government schools and basically um, investing in a career rather than having one of the parents stay home and invest in the family. Uh, About 90% of single income situations are father's working and mother's staying home. Mm -hmm. I think we mentioned in the last episode only 7% of American families have a situation where there's a married couple with children and only the father goes to work and the mother stays home. So it's only 7% of the U.S. population. But of that 7%, about 90% of those situations um, are father's working, mother's staying home. So it's a really slim scenario where you have a mother who goes and is the full-time breadwinner and um, where the father stays home and is homeschooling the children, uh, that's a pretty narrow slice. Now, we know some situations like that, Mm -hmm. um, and there are some families for whom that has proven to be a successful model. I think parenthetically, the ones that I know of, um, there seems seems to work well for the children in many cases. Um, a lot of times the marriage relationships, uh, at least in the situations I know of, uh, are more strained. Okay. And I think there's some reasons for that. I don't know if we'll have time to go into all of those reasons. Well, I can see, but, you know, a, a man tends to have more of the natural drive to conquer something in this world. Uh, not to say that women don't, but uh, just he has that more natural gifting in that, where women tend to have a more natural gifting towards nurturing and, you know, we are, we're relationship bound. I think protector and provider are two roles that men have over the history of humankind assumed. Some people say that's exclusively cultural. Others say that that is God-given and innate. Um, don't know if we'll solve that debate today. <laughs> but, uh, but let's assume, you know, that it's just cultural. It's still cultural. And there are men who feel this very strong urge that they're supposed to provide for their family. I think Scripture speaks to that. It says, if a man does not provide for his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Uh, That's a pretty strong admonition. And in the Greek, it actually is speaking to uh, a masculine uh, person there. It's It's not a generic term it doesn't say if a person won't provide mm-hmm. your translation may say that but in the greek it's it's masculine so it's actually speaking to a male so i think there there is a sense in which provision is something that that is innate to uh, a man uh, but it is also cultural and so i think sometimes when a man is not providing um, sometimes he feels inferior 
his wife is the breadwinner, sometimes that creates difficulty. Right. And we know of some situations where a husband is physically disabled. Right. And he is not able to go to work. And uh, in those situations, the wife has to become the breadwinner. And, you know, in those situations, the families have to find a way to make it work. Right. There are other situations we know of where um, the wife's income potential is substantially higher than the husband's income potential. And so because of that, uh, they've decided that all things considered, it's better for them to have a scenario where the wife works, the husband stays at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in those situations, um, you know, we know families who make it work and they may have more struggles perhaps in certain ways than other families. Uh, again, those are things that individual families have to work through. We're not here to create a template. So everybody's family has to look a certain way. Uh, but we we do recognize that that's the minority yeah. of situations. Um, 90% are the husband's going to go to work and the wife is going to stay home. So for the most part, that's the uh, dynamic the that we're going right. to be speaking about when we're talking about homeschooling families, living on a single income. Um, we're presuming that it's the mother who's staying home. Not We're not presuming that because we're being sexist. We're presuming that because 90% of the time, that's how that fleshes out. Uh, so um, on this issue of finance and being a single income family, um, we've basically had this dynamic throughout our marriage uh, where I'm the primary breadwinner in the family. You are a full-time stay-at-home wife and mother and, and homeschooling mom. And so a lot of other moms are going to find themselves in your position and, and we'll be able to relate to your perspective on this. Uh, what are some things that you found that make this workable, that make this doable as we focus more on the micro perspective of, of, okay, so let's say that this is our reality that, you know, we've chosen this lifestyle or this is how things have fleshed out and it's a single income situation. How do you make it work? How can you live on a single income or, or can you? I think it's so important for families who are choosing this route to look at the, um, the husband and the wife to look at their investment that are making their family as a decision that they're, a couple's making together. For instance, the husband might be the one getting that uh, reward, so to speak, that paycheck. And our society is just hammered into us that that has something to do with your value as a person. And so a lot of times I think there can be a struggle for husbands and wives, particularly the women, if they're not getting that paycheck, they don't get that reward, they don't have that affirmation that they're feeling like, well, I'm just sort of trying to make things happen at home and make things work. And yet the way it's needed to be viewed in that situation is the husband is doing the providing and the wife is doing that nurturing, investing in the family, helping the family function and become a tight group that grows, has a place for godliness to grow, and is able to give. We were talking a little bit in our last episode about um, a husband wife that their children were grown, they were empty nesters, and yet they decided as a couple that it was really best for their marriage, for their life, for the woman to stay at home and be a homemaker. She didn't have little children to tend to. She wasn't homeschooling in that season of her life, even though she had earlier. But it enabled her to fulfill a lot of the things Proverbs 31 talks about, where she gave to the needy. She saw the needs of the folks in her church and was able to give a lending hand or to fill in spots for families that did have young children 
and, and help them grow and give them godly counsel that she had earned for many years. So instead of putting her energies in towards a career late in her life, later in her life, she put it back into the church. But she always reserved time for her husband, even though she saw him much more than she had in earlier years when she was busy with children. She still made lots of time for her husband. I really respected that. Another story on a whole different flip I want to talk about is a gal I know who has, I believe, seven children, and she homeschools, and they had some unexpected debt that came their way, straddled them. They were just trying to live under that for many years, and they finally decided as a couple and even under the um, counsel of some godly people they knew in their life that the wife would go to work. And the way that they made this work for their family was she chose, um, I believe it was second shift or after hours, a part-time job, doing something she didn't even like to do, but it paid the money that they needed. So they they put a time limit on it. I think it was two years that she was going to work outside the home during her husband's off hours so that he would get home from his long day at work, but then be there for their children. So she had already invested in her children, in their homeschooling and all that through the day, went to work for a number of hours later in the day, and they had a certain time frame on it. They they had a certain goal they wanted to meet financially, and when that happened, she um, when that time was drawing close to an end, she started trying to develop something she did enjoy through the home of decorating cakes. And so she's looking for avenues, you know, just here and there to do that as a side business, but it's, it can be kept in the home. It can be kept small. So I had a lot of respect for the way that they chose not to, um, jar the family too badly with just having her go back under what felt so necessary in order to get a better income. They chose to have it just be a part-time, probably made it longer than they wished, but still they, they made it part-time. And it was then when the husband was able to be home. Yeah, and they had a scenario where they didn't have to turn the children over to someone who wasn't their parent and have someone else becoming the most important, most influential person in their child's life. Right. Because we've talked about on previous podcasts how uh, the two most important factors in influence are time and affirmation. Whoever is spending the most time with the child and affirming them the most ends up having the most influence. So many of the concepts that we're bringing out today are from a chapter called uh, Living on One Income from a book that Israel wrote called Full-Time Parenting. And we offer that through our website. We'll bring that to your attention later on again. But I wanted to read to you this quote from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry wrote some commentaries on the Bible, uh, I'm going to guess 150 years ago. They're, They're pretty old. But this just blessed me as I read it again. Children are God's gifts a heritage, a reward, and are to be accounted blessings and not burdens. He who sends mouths will send meat if we trust in him. That's from the Matthew Henry Concise Bible Commentary. And I find that living on one income provides an adventure of trust. We tend to put a list, in, at least mentally, where we have pros and cons, and when we're choosing to decline that second income, We tend to look at all these pros for that second income. And actually, I believe there are a lot of pros for a single income. What would some of those be? What are some things that come to your mind? I I would say I think that adventure of trust is probably got to be the first one. Because when we are 
actively pursuing following God in our parenting. You know, you can be a parent and go day by day, feed your children, instruct them, and so forth, and yet not participate with God on a level of trust as doing it unto the Lord. It's like you can you can just go through the motions. And yet when you apply the faith aspect, the trust aspect into your parenting, it can bring a whole different dynamic. Okay, so you've had to walk out this walk of faith and trust for a good while now. Uh, we've been married over 18 years. We have nine children, so obviously this is something that you've had to walk out. Um, let's try to dial in on some practicality here. We talked about how if you're going to increase your net profit, you have two means of doing that. You can earn more or you can spend less. Right. Um, so part of your role um, as the wife and the homemaker and the person who does a lot of shopping, actually in our relationship, I do a lot of shopping. So in some ways, very I'm, convenient. I'm kind of the uh, the bargain shopper. So I was looking for ways to spend the money, uh, spend less money. But uh, you also do a fair amount of that. So what are some of your, your savings hacks, if you will, uh, that you've found that help you to be able to stick within a budget? Obviously, I think one of the major budget line items for a family has to be food. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that you've found that help to keep the food budget under control? One of the things I think that can apply to every level of living on one income, but I'm going to talk about specifically with food, is actually a mentality. And that mentality is we take what's going on in the people around us, in the, our friends, in what we see on commercials, and we think, oh, I need that. And so one of the things I think is, oh, all these other families in our circles go out to eat. You know, they go on date night and they go to expensive places or they... Um, family birthdays are spent at a restaurant and so forth. And that can be a mentality that we feel like we need to maintain. And yet, maybe the income doesn't allow for it. The budget doesn't allow for it. And so I, if we cut back on that that feeling of we've got to keep up with the Joneses, there is so much freedom in being able to enjoy and being content, you know, that that aspect of contentment with Oh, you know, we're we're going to save going out to eat for a very rare occasion and it's going to be very purposeful instead of just a random time. So, I would say on the food budgets, cooking from scratch is a huge one. Not only is it better for health reasons, it's tremendously cheaper than all the boxed and prepackaged goodies. I think a lot of women today have not been encouraged to learn how to cook. They've not really learned domestic skills right. and you know, that wasn't, wasn't how they were raised. And some of this goes back to the fact that their mother was a career woman. Yes. And they were raised in public school. And they really grew up outside the home. Right. And their mother, because she worked, um, had to choose the convenience option of prepackaged foods and that kind of thing. So her mother didn't have that cooking style. Right. And so she didn't, and she wasn't there with her mother during the day, you know, so she didn't learn that. So how do you think women can learn this if it's not something that they already know? How can they learn how to cook from scratch and do that kind of thing? I guess I'd say go ask some older women in the church. Sounds a little like Titus too, doesn't bring it? Them, say, I need you to come over and help me learn how to cook and you know teach me some basics. The internet's full of all kinds of blogs and so forth that help with that. But even just a good cookbook can sometimes do a lot. Um, just realize there's going to be trial and error. And with every skill, 
There's going to be some failures, and don't worry about that. That's part of that's part of it. And your family might just learn to appreciate some dried food that, you know, <laughs> baked a little long or it wasn't quite perfect, and that's okay too. So, what do you think about the bulk foods idea? I'm all for it. <laughs> I have learned where to buy um, different things, and I, I kind of keep a mental list now, or even just a little note in my phone or my book about a price, a good price for things. And so, I learn this is the rock bottom price I can get for what, what do you say to oats. Buy? Yeah. Well, like we buy about 100 pounds of oats at a time. I go to an Amish bulk food store. And it's about an hour away, so it's kind of a big deal to go. But I find a lot of scratch and dent kinds of items there, and then a lot of bulk foods items. We store them in buckets. Anything that doesn't need to be in the freezer, I store in a bucket. And that way, it just keeps critters and bugs out. I've never had too much of a problem with that. So for me, it's been very successful. I'm also, we live in this wonderful farmland area. We don't have a farm, but we live near lots of farms And so I'm always looking for ways to connect with those farmers. And for an introvert like me, I feel very intimidated to make the call and be turned down, (laughs) make a call and find out how many, you know, how much will you sell me a whole crate of green beans for that kind of thing. So I'm learning through my, what's that blue ball cookbook, uh, how to can and freeze a lot of different things. Mostly I'm doing freezing at this season of my life, but I'm going to get back into canning this fall. Last year, I was able to go in with a couple friends and get seconds apples. And I mean, these apples were in great condition. There was maybe one or two bad ones and they probably wouldn't have lasted long. Like we, we didn't need to use them up right away, but we made applesauce. We got, I want to say like 40 or 50 bushels. And those bushels were like $3 a bushel. So these are things that wouldn't Perfect look apples. pretty sitting on the grocery stand. Right. So, you know, they've got a... Or the, a lot of the reason they were in this particular one is because they were many different kinds of apples all thrown together. I didn't care for my purposes what kind of apple it was. And so there's ways I've found to connect with farmers like that. That would be a lot harder in a city. You might need to look into more restaurant supply types of farmer's markets and that type of thing. But there are ways. Sometimes there's benefits that a city has that someone for me living out in the country doesn't have. A lot of times there's scratch and dent types of stores that can supply um, different grocery needs. But the bulk has really helped us because a lot of that expense is in the packaging, in the smaller packaging, and in the glitzy, glossy packaging. So that's one way we do. So then the dry foods, and we'll just share a couple of things. We have traditionally tended to get wheat berries and ground our own flour, mm-hmm. or sometimes buy 100 pounds of flour, 50-pound bags of flour that it's already ground. Um, we've gotten 50-pound bags of popcorn. We've We've bought uh, five-gallon buckets of honey, yep. you know, things that we would use a lot for baking or cooking, um, beans, pinto beans, Lots that of beans. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we, we would buy you know, 50 pounds at a time, something like that, lentils, um, split peas. So a lot of grains, um, dry goods, and we've gotten them through places like Country Life is a Whole Foods p- place in Michigan that uh, is like a cooperative that we've purchased from, uh, partly because it's somewhat local to where we live. 
Um, I know out west there's a company called Azure Pacific that a lot of people around the country have bought from, and they have um, people who drive routes and deliver uh, across the west. And there are other places like that that you can look. Um, Certainly, some things you're going to find competitive prices, like I think Pinto Beans, um, Walmart's pretty competitive on something like that if you buy their 20-pound bag. Uh, brown rice they're fairly competitive you know so sometimes if you just end up getting the larger quantities at stores like that let's say you don't have a whole foods uh, co-op in your area sometimes even looking at uh, places like that and just buying the larger quantity is helpful so brooke what do you think about uh, places like costco or sam's club are those good places for people to buy bulk items i mean usually you can buy a a bigger box of cereal or you can buy, you know, a bigger container of something. Is is that a cost-effective way to buy? I have not personally found it so much to be beneficial for our family that we try to eat from scratch, basically anything from scratch. And we try to keep very low sugar. I try to use whole grains versus processed. I try to, um, you know, use fresh vegetables. And therefore, a lot of the things that they have that are very seemingly good deals at some of the bulk, uh, sorry, the large, you know, wholesale types of stores like Sam's or Costco. Um, I gravitate towards anything that is more from the the source. So say the tomato cans. I love those tomato cans that they sell there because it's just basic tomato paste or tomato sauce. And it's the basic food versus the processed food. So I tend to buy very little there that is in the the big packages already made, that kind of thing. I know different families have different standards and there's quality to consider too. So I am very, very slow on anything but food in particular to pay full price because eventually most foods will come around to a very good sale price in their time and that's when I buy. And that's why I stock up and I'll I'll put whatever I can't use right away in the freezer or find ways to stretch it out. What about Gordon Food Service? Do you ever find things there that are lower priced than you can get other places? You know, I haven't found a whole lot there. I know I was talking to a friend and she was saying that she bought, I think it was number 10 cans of applesauce, which I needed at the time. Even though I made all that applesauce last year, I still needed some more. And I think she bought that there and I know... Like Parmesan cheese is a good price there and then spinach, but I have not found their prices to be all that competitive. Now, Aldi is a favorite place of mine, and while that's not as rock bottom as you can get if you buy in bulk, they don't offer that much in bulk, it's still a very decent price, and I appreciate their business very much. I know in the West, you don't have that. Whenever we travel, I'm always sad when we leave Aldi territory. Yeah. Well, it's a very affordable way to be able to get fairly decent food. Um, I think years ago, they really catered to kind of a low-quality, low-budget... Mm-hmm. A lot of white bread, white uh, flour. food. Mm-hmm. But they've changed that, and they actually have a lot of organic foods now. Uh, they've increased the quality of a number of the items that they sell. So um, we're, we're kind of hoping that it, they don't shift their complete business model to becoming an upscale, ritzy a full organic type store where you can't buy things on the cheap there anymore. (laughs) But for a large family, that's really uh, cost effective. I'm amazed uh, when I go through Aldi sometimes how I can load up a grocery cart full of food 
and get to the checkout and it's a hundred bucks. Yes. I mean, you think about any other store where you would try to get a full grocery cart full of variety of foods, uh, vegetables, meats, you know, dairy, whatever, and, and a hundred dollars, seriously. So, uh, most places, I think you'd be spending two hundred or more mm-hmm. uh, for a cartload of groceries. You just have to price shop. You know, Walmart has some good prices on things. Um, I personally find that that traditional grocery stores like Kroger and some of the national chains that are well known um, they're not cost effective. I mean, if right. that's what you have in your town, it's convenient. It's convenient. We have a, a grocery store chain in our local town that we go to if we just want to pick up an item or something. Um, but for times when we need to stock up, we like to buy through uh, a bulk foods distributor uh, or try to you know, price compare to where we know which stores sell which items right. the cheapest. Right. So that's the food component. Um, well, let's learn one more thing. Okay. A huge cost-saving factor is eating your leftovers. So you've taken out the pot or the pan and you have used your electricity or gas to heat up your food or your oven and you're baking it or whatever and your family enjoys the meal you've put all those ingredients in there that you went to the store and took time to push the shopping cart around or grew or you got from a farmer and now you put the leftovers away in the refrigerator shove it towards the back and as Israel would say you watch an experiment a science experiment there grow of mold and yucky things and I think when we've put all that time already into preparing that food is a tremendous waste to let it go to waste and i uh, struggle with this off and on well, we have one child who's a picky eater <laughs> and um, we have some others who aren't picky eaters but they're kind of lazy eaters so they just nibble a little bit eat what they want and leave the food so we struggle with this in our family as well um, making sure that we don't waste food yeah. Um, I, I read somewhere that 40% of all food grown or raised in the United States goes to waste. Yes, it's tremendous. It gets thrown out, discarded, and that's for a variety of reasons on multiple levels. Stores can't sell the products before they go bad, so they throw them out. Um, people throw out food because they just don't use it. They overbuy or you know, people leave half their food on their plate. You know, There's a lot of reasons for that, but... Yeah, the wasting of food is something that I think is a very uniquely American, uh, maybe Western culture uh, phenomenon. But I have a feeling that in most third world countries, there's not nearly so much that just goes to waste. Right. So, Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge factor in saving money on food costs. Yeah. And time. So what about clothes? That's obviously another expensive factor. You have to buy shoes and clothes for all your children. And how do you make that work on the cheap? Well, again, I think if you can be very slow to ever pay full price for any item, then you're you're winning. You're making you're making better choices. So I always start with thrift stores for family uh, clothing. Um, sometimes there's some online types of thrift stores I've used too. So I choose um, as often as I can to go searching for clothing at thrift stores on their half price day. And, you know, it's a little bit more of a hassle because it's usually busier and all that. But I have, through the years, been able to supply almost all of our clothing needs through that. And then I save our children's clothes in plastic bins out in our garage for the next child. And that helps a lot, too. The one thing I'm picky about is new shoes. And so we always search for 
clearance deals for new shoes and even buy ahead if possible so that each child has new shoes? Yeah, sometimes we will buy ahead because we know we have a child coming up into that size and they're not there yet. <laughs> well, okay, so here's my, my one mistake on this. I found a pair of size 12 men's shoes for $3 and I just couldn't pass it up. Brand new shoes, decent looking shoes. Uh, the problem is I'm starting to wonder if we'll ever have a child that's <laughs> size 12. <laughs> so I'm I'm rethinking that. <laughs> We found for the, you know, for our children over the years that God's really blessed us with just being able to find uh, good quality clothes, yeah, uh, at an affordable price. And it's amazing how a lot of people in our society just discard perfectly good clothes that have hardly ever been worn. And sometimes you can find them in yard sales or thrift stores, um, and then just sales. You know, watching sales on uh, from stores and. Maybe using uh, Groupon or things like that to combine discounts and savings. Um, those are some ways that we found to help uh, keep costs down. So one other thing that I would mention, and a lot of this, again, is just changing your mentality, looking at things in a different way, and that's cloth diapers. They say that it costs somewhere upwards of 1000 and more per child to get them through the first two years of diapers. And, you know, with nine children, that's just a tremendous amount of money thrown in the trash. So uh, we use cloth diapers at home. I do use disposables when I'm out and about. But um, that that's a huge cost saving. And that's one of those things that you'd probably want to get a really good quality, pay extra for a good quality diaper in order to have it last and be serviceable. Another specific recommendation I would make is make your own laundry detergent. And I have been able to just look online for different recipes and kind of tweak what I like. And I have my nine-year-old make it. She's kind of watched me do it a couple times. I walked her through the steps and then it's like her own little side business. And so I pay her per big bucket, by five-gallon bucket that she makes for me. Yeah, so there's a lot of ways that you can think outside the box and find ways to limit the amount of money that you spend Again, we hope you'll listen to the first broadcast that we did on this topic if you haven't before. Uh, One last thing I'll mention is homeschool curriculum. We have found that with homeschool curriculum, you get what you pay for. So I really don't like the homeschooling for free mentality. I'm just being honest. Sure. Uh, I'm on some Facebook groups, and I hear a lot of people talking about how can we homeschool for free. Well, you know, if that's a necessity for you and that's your economic condition, then you need to find out how to do that for free. But typically what I've found is that um, the online free homeschooling approaches, you're not getting a very quality, comprehensive education for your child. And this is something I just don't want to go cheap on. So um, I want to get good, high-quality materials, but I don't want to spend a lot of money for it. So there's some ways to do that. Obviously, with textbooks, um, you can um, buy discounted textbooks that are used. Sometimes they're in great condition, and that's a way you can do it if you're really trying to save money. We try to buy a lot of our materials at homeschool conferences because we want to support the vendors, and we know that uh, it's a good way for us to do it. They usually run conference specials. Um, We were just at a a homeschooling conference, um, and Christian Liberty Press had a sale, and they were offering a very substantial discount plus free shipping if you ordered at the conference. And it was was a sizable discount. I don't remember exactly what it was, but 
um, we bought a bunch of stuff from them because we love their materials and it was the best discount I think I'd ever seen them run. And so we, and we had free shipping. Yeah, we had free shipping. And so that was a great time for us to purchase. Um, we tend to use a lot of Masterbooks curriculum in our family because the quality uh, of the content is so rich, it's such a strong biblical worldview curriculum. And at the conferences, they sell usually at a 26% discount. And then if you buy uh, multiple sets, so like um, say you get a set, which is uh, a student workbook and a teacher guide for history, that would be one set. And then you get a math and a science. Those would be three sets. If you buy three sets, you can get 30% discount. They have some online specials as well. And if you buy like over $75, I think you get free shipping. And anyway, there are lots of different ways to be able to get curriculum that's relatively affordable. And we found with Masterbooks also that our total cost uh, for our children, especially because so many of their materials are um, textbooks that we can reuse with our children. And the workbooks are very affordable, especially with the discounts. Uh, we found that we're spending far less with them than we would with a lot of other traditional publishers because their prices are pretty low to begin with, and then they give a sizable discount. So there's a lot of different ways that you can cut the costs um, for the homeschooling materials. Certainly using uh, libraries are another good way, uh, especially for literature, I think, um, because let's say that you have, you're doing a literature course and they say you should read The Red Badge of Courage, well, you could go out and buy that book and have it in your home, and maybe you want to do that. If you can afford it, that's great. But if this is something that your child needs to read for an assignment and then they write an essay on what the book was about, they may never want to go back and read that book ever again, and then you're right. just storing something in your home. And so for a lot of people, just getting easily accessible books like that from the library, reading them once and then returning it, that may be a much better plan mm-hmm. for you. So maybe sometime we'll do a whole episode on the homeschooling uh, side of it. But um, there are ways that you can save as well on that side right. and, th- and thinking long-term as well. You know, If you've got multiple children and you think, I can save this textbook and reuse it with five children, maybe you're putting a little more money up front to get that hard case, hardbound textbook. But if it's something that's really good content, and you want to reuse it with other children, you can save a lot of money that way over, you know, a, a consumable that you have to throw out and right. reuse and um, that kind of thing. Well, one last thing I'd like to throw out there too is health insurance. We are members of Samaritan Ministries, yeah, it's great, and we have been so blessed with our membership there. It's it's a way that we can have health insurance and be um, giving every payment that we send out goes to a Christian family for a health need and you're not supporting abortion. You're not supporting any kind of contraceptive. You're not supporting any sorts of drug and alcohol abuse situations. And it opts you out of Obamacare. Yes. Which and, which may not be a reality in the future, but right. you know, it opts you out of government mandated healthcare, which right now at the time of the recording of this podcast is still the law that you have to have healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's much more relational because you see an actual need and each request is or sorry each um, assignment is given with the request that you pray for that family so it brings it a lot down more down to these are real people who have a real need i'm not just sending off this health insurance to some sort of conglomeration or business 
also, it can be a huge cost saving for many families over what they're currently using. I had a friend I was talking to a year ago switched over from traditional health insurance to Samaritans and saved upwards ten thousand a year. I I just was shocked at the savings for that family. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Um, I've been a member of Samaritan Ministries since nineteen ninety six, and we've been a member our whole married life. Um, thankfully, we haven't had to use it much, which is great. Um, we know that our money is going to help other families who do need it. And so we're thankful for that, that we're able to help bear one another's burdens and take care of their financial needs when, when they have uh, financial issues. But in the few times when we have needed it, um, they've come through and they've been super to work with. They've even covered our home births, which, you know, how many insurance providers would help pay for a home birth? Uh, we've had all of our babies at home, and uh, it's been wonderful to have them uh, help us financially uh, with those medical expenses. And uh, so, because we have a midwife that we um, hire for that. And so, uh, we highly recommend them, and they've been gracious enough to uh, offer to help support our ministry uh, if people sign up because they heard about it through us. So uh, we tell, I've told people about it for 20 years before they volunteered this. So uh, <laughs> I've referred thousands of people to Samaritan Ministries. Uh, but um, if you sign up and you mention our family, if you mention uh, Israel Wayne and Brooke Wayne, if you mention our family, um, they will actually kick back to Family Renewal. They'll kick back to our ministry. Um, a, a small portion, and, and that helps us to continue doing what we do, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So uh, if you do sign up as a member, we would sure appreciate that you would mention Israel and Brooke Wayne. That's probably what they have it under rather than family renewal, um, but that would give us a referral credit as well. So uh, we hope you will consider doing that. Well, a lot more that we could talk about. Maybe we'll do some future episodes uh, on these cost-saving approaches as well. But we're thankful for you joining us for another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. We hope you will visit our website, which is familyrenewal.org, and you will sign up on our email list. We have a monthly email where you can get notices of if we've got new products out or if we are going to be speaking in your area specifically because uh, we do a lot of seminars and conferences around the country, and we always send an email when we're in your area. You can do that at familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe. We would love to have you join our Facebook pages. We're at uh, facebook.com forward slash familyrenewal, also forward slash Israel Wayne author, and Israel.Wayne. I'm on Twitter at Israel Wayne. We're on Instagram at familyrenewal. And uh, we'd love to have you connect with us through these different social media channels. Uh, Again, our podcast uh, comes out about once a month on the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. We hope you'll subscribe to the feed and that you will share this with friends and tell other people about our ministry. Most of all, we want to ask you to pray for us. Um, We do not ask for donations, and um, we are are not a uh, 501c3 But we are a ministry, and so we would appreciate your prayers as we travel around the country and do free parenting seminars and speak at churches and so on, try to encourage the body of Christ. We would very much value your prayers. So thank you for uh, standing with us and supporting us and telling other people about our books and our resources. That helps us tremendously. Uh, We appreciate you very much. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye.